Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. This week's episode of our Houses in Motion series features an interview with Michael Neal, a researcher at the Urban Institute. Michael joined us today to discuss different aspects and factors behind the ever-prevalent racial gap and bias in home appraisal and valuation. He also touches on Zillow's iBuying program and some of the positives and the negatives of these automated valuation models. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Want to give your customers the streamlined mortgage experience they expect? Fannie Mae's digital mortgage solutions are fast, efficient, contactless, and they save paper. Our digital mortgage solutions provide efficiency for you, convenience for your customers, and deliver a great experience at every stage of the mortgage cycle. Own the mortgage experience with Fannie Mae's innovative solutions. Visit FannieMae.com slash go digital. Hello, my name is Matthew Blake, a real estate reporter with Housing Wire, and this is Houses in Motion, part of Housing Wire Daily's podcasts. On this episode of Houses in Motion, I talked to Michael Neal, who is a senior research associate at the Urban Institute. Michael also used to work for Fannie Mae and the National Association of Home Builders. I brought Michael on the show because he has done extensive research on racial disparities in both who owns homes in America and how those homes are valued. Between scheduling Michael to appear and having him on, Zillow shook the American real estate ecosystem by announcing a wind down of their iBuying program. It was a shocking move because Zillow had transformed their company into one that used all the data they've collected to make bets that it can buy homes for cash at the right price and then quickly resell those homes. That bet by Zillow failed. So what does Zillow have to do with racial inequality in housing? Well, where those subjects overlap is that both get to the limits that real estate has in properly valuing homes. To be sure, part of the racial disparity in home valuations has to do with factors like student loan debt, credit scores, labor market opportunities, what Neil calls the macro factors. But Neil and I also discuss the micro factors of the disparity including the role that different people in a home transaction play and the reliance on automated valuation models. As you can probably tell, our conversation was somewhat complex, but I think it was a nuanced and important look at how homes are being valued today in late 2021 and what ramifications these assessments have. Please email me your thoughts at mblake at housingwire.com. That's m. B-L-A-K-E at housingwire.com. Joining me today is Michael Neal at the Urban Institute, and we are going to talk about how you value a home and also some of the racial disparities in home valuations. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. It's good to be here. How would you describe what your job is right now? You have a you know, long and well-regarded career in housing, but what do you presently do at the Urban Institute? 
Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great question. My role uh, spans, I think, a number of areas of, frankly, of research uh, and policy analysis. You know, I focus largely on the areas of of home ownership, uh, of racial equity, um, housing supply, and uh, and to a degree how they can intersect with uh, housing finance um, and topics uh, in that space as well. Over the course of of, uh, of a day or a week, part of my role um, is uh, thinking about uh, the key issues, um, particularly at the intersection of racial equity uh, and home ownership. Um, that you know includes uh, you know data analysis, uh, communication, idea generation, development. You know those types of important inputs into the research process. Uh, but also partnership, collaboration, uh, communication, um, which are also uh, important, not just for research, um, but also for uh, disseminating um, some of the key findings uh, and really uh, articulating how they fit um, in the broader conversation that many of us are contributing to. Yeah. And obviously, these are huge topics. I mean, racism, homeownership, the intersection between racial equity and homeownership. So what are some of the research questions that kind of animate your work, the main questions that you're asking uh, day to day? Some some broad questions around uh, the benefits of homeownership. From my perch, it certainly is very important that we design uh, and enforce policies that help people of color to achieve home ownership. Um, but we also want to ensure uh, that they fully benefit from home ownership as well. Um, and so what are the key determinants that guarantee that households will benefit from home ownership? And to what degree do households of color along that entire continuum um, experience disparate outcomes? Um, I'd say a second uh, area of research uh, that we are kind of in the beginning stages of thinking about is how does this connect um, to kind of broader macro issues? Um, That is, uh, you know, we have, I think, a very uh, a growing and a strengthening sense of the implications for households, the implications uh, for businesses. But, you know, a lot, as we saw with the Great Recession, um, particularly for home ownership, uh, the experiences of homeowners, particularly with respect to instability, um, can, uh, under certain conditions, uh, have implications for broader groups and for the broader economy. The Urban Institute on November 2nd issued a report on home valuations between race, comparing how much a home is valued uh, between a white household, a black household, a Hispanic household, an Asian household. Now, I think it is pretty well known that there is a home ownership gap between races, but the paper that you co-authored points to a valuation gap as well. Could you talk a little bit about your findings? You know, this really came out of uh, uh, virtual meetings that we had uh, across a number of, of markets uh, around the country, um, places like Atlanta, places like Miami, the Inland Empire, Philadelphia, um, Houston, um, where we continued to see not only were Black households less likely to achieve home ownership, um, but when they did, they often purchased uh, or they often owned uh, lower valued homes. 
And, you know, to a degree, I think, again, this gets back to that micro macro kind of uh, uh, continuum uh, that, that I that I mentioned earlier is, you know, from a from a micro perspective, you know, this suggests uh, that households of color are potentially compromising um, when they in order to achieve home ownership, uh, they're purchasing homes in neighborhoods uh, that are lower valued. Um, it could also mean uh, that households of color face systemic racism um, in terms of industrial zoning set up near their neighborhoods, uh, steering that places them um, in certain neighborhoods. Uh, appraisal bias um, that impacts the value of their home. And, and that also could be informing uh, the lower home values uh, that Black homeowners have. Um, but at the same time, there is this kind of more macro-y kind of interpretation, um, which is if the home ownership rate is lower and home values on average are lower, then it suggests, you know, uh, without taking the number of households into account, it suggests that uh, Black uh, households overall own a proportionately smaller share of the primary residence housing wealth, in part because they're less likely to be homeowners. And when they are homeowners, they own lower valued homes. And that's certainly something that we saw at the national level. Um, but of course, what also matters are the number of households. I mean, another reason why Black uh, households own uh, so little of the housing wealth is because they're, by definition, a minority uh, at the national level. Um, but even when we look into some of the uh, some of the cities uh, where Black households represent the largest percentage of the of the population, cities like Atlanta, Georgia, we see this stark contrast where Black households own a, a strikingly small proportion of the housing wealth. And again, it's in part because they're less likely to be homeowners, but it's also because they are they are uh, when they do own homes, they own lower valued homes. Yeah, I think the way that you break down sort of the macro and the micro is really interesting because you know, so as a real estate reporter, I often tend to like focus on the micro of this in in terms of you know, the role that individual players in a housing transaction might play the, you know, if a real estate agent is steering somebody or if an appraiser has some type of subconscious or conscious bias, for example, what, I mean, in terms of starting then, I guess, with the micro, I suppose, like, what would you say is sort of the leading contributor that you've seen through research to the gap in valuation or, or what has at least stood out to you in the micro level? Yeah, I think this answer is going to start off um, simplified and very linear, um, okay. but it will grow uh, increasingly nonlinear um, as I work through my answer. Um, and that is, you know, look, I think to a degree, there are certainly uh, issues around economics. For example, our research indicates that Black households uh, have uh, lower incomes. And not only do they have uh, and lower incomes, you know, being a function of economics, 
um, suggests a role for the economic situation of the household in terms of their ability uh, to uh, to achieve not just home ownership, but to also own uh, to also experience the the maximum benefits of home ownership as well. But at the same time, you know, I think that you know, to your point, that across the housing ecosystem, uh, we continue to find evidence of systemic racism. Um, and, and I think all of them together uh, wind up reducing uh, the benefits, uh, the ability of, of Black households to achieve home ownership, um, and the benefits that one can accrue. Um, and so I think, look, I think that uh, uh, the evidence, the balance of evidence that we've seen with respect to uh, appraisal bias appears to suggest that Black homeowners do wind up experiencing or having uh, lower valued homes because of whether conscious or, or, or subconscious discrimination. Um, at the same time, you know, you've mentioned the steering and the realtors have, have brought it up themselves in terms of uh, the steering that some, the industry and the profession um, ha, has engaged in, as well as uh, some of the industrial zoning. But And so it might lead you to think that, well, okay, there are two pieces to this story, and those pieces are separate but combined. That is, we have this economic story, but then we have this uh, racial uh, discrimination story. Um, and there, I would say we have to go beyond that linear interpretation because we also know that uh, even when we look at the economic uh, outcomes uh, experienced by Black households, that that in and of itself is partly a product of racism and racial discrimination. Um, we know uh, and research uh, has illustrated that Black workers um, are oftentimes uh, the last into a particular uh, company. But at least anecdotally, some have argued that Black workers are often the first out as well. They're, they're the last to get in and to benefit, say, in an economic expansion. And so, you know, that greater instability has implications uh, for their income, um, which then in turn has implications not just for their ability to achieve home ownership, say, through, you know, the type of credit that, that they're able to have, but also the value of the home and, and ultimately um, the equity that they're able to build. You just mentioned there the labor market and how Black households have lower income and less economic stability. So given these larger economic issues, what power does someone in real estate, an agent, an appraiser have to overcome the racial valuation gap? Or is the cake already kind of baked because of these entrenched socioeconomic problems that are bigger than real estate? The way that I think about it, I certainly do think that the, I think I think it's important to acknowledge and to appreciate that uh, experiences of racial discrimination uh, in related industries have implications uh, for uh, Black uh, households' ability to achieve home ownership. Um, but I don't think that that by itself um, is enough to take, frankly, the housing ecosystem more generally off the hook. Um, in part because we also observe that even when uh, Black households, say, have similar incomes, uh, their home ownership rates are still lower. Um, and part of that might be the result of other uh, dynamics that are at place in, in terms of economics. But I think, uh, but I think another argument, and I think uh, uh, research as well as history, 
um, illustrates the, uh, the role that racial discrimination has played within the housing sector as well. The point, the broader point is uh, when we see people who are otherwise similar in every respect, um, except for their race, uh, we often still see disparate outcomes uh, for Black households. I, I want to go on a, a bit of a tangent. Zillow uh, announced that they, you know, wound down their um, instant home buying, i buying program. Uh, is 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 winding it down, I should say, over the next few fiscal quarters. They announced that this week, and obviously there are a lot of different issues to look at from that. But one is the question of valuation, and and Rich Barton, the CEO of Zillow, he was talking about how our uh, algorithmic pricing model proved, um, you know, not able to deal with changes in the housing market and proved ultimately um, too risky. My question for you from all of this is kind of like, how sophisticated are we in, in late 2021 in terms of like knowing the value of a home and how much of what we're talking about today about kind of racial disparities in home ownership? could be solved if there was simply a more sophisticated computer algorithm or simply, um, you know, smarter, more nuanced appraisals, like how much of what we're talking about could be solved if we were simply better at understanding the value of a home? Yeah, I I think... I think a couple things. Um, I think that there there are really two questions in, in there, um, and I'm going to try to address both of them. Um, the first one, I think, is around automation. Um, the second one is, in my mind, around, hey, if we can somehow uh, fix automation, does that, will that, or fix our ability to uh, to value a home, uh, will that uh, will that by itself help uh, black homeowners? Um, and with the first one, look, I think that there is a lot of intuition um, around moving toward uh, an automated appraisal process. A from a racial equity perspective, the degree to which there is a bias in appraisers' uh, estimations, then certainly it it stands to reason that removing that human input uh, should uh, reduce and ultimately close any racial gaps. Um, At the same time, you know, we have the data and we have the software to do this um, in a way that, uh, you know, a number of decades ago, we did not. Um, And so I think that that's another feather in the cap, so to speak, um, for automation. Um, but at the same time, you know, amid, I think, this pandemic and the risk, the health risks around uh, people-to-people contact um, present another tailwind uh, for automation. Um, that is, if you can remove, you just, you know, limit person to, the person-to-person contact that's in, that can be uh, potentially implied by an appraiser coming and visiting a home, then uh, you can also ensure, you, you know, you can also deal with the health risks uh, that we're currently facing with respect to COVID-19. Um, so I think, uh, you know, all of these and perhaps a few others kind of serve as, as nice tailwind for uh, the use of automation. Um, and, you know, I'll say uh, our research certainly uh, seems to suggest uh, that uh, automated valuation models do not bias uh, homes in black neighborhoods uh, relative to those in white neighborhoods. 
Um, but I think the other part is, you know, hey, look, if we get that valuation right, does that uh, erase all of the challenges with respect to the ability of black households to achieve housing wealth? Um, and I think that it gets part of the way in part because there are other contributors to the housing ecosystem. I mean, one of the things that we saw, uh, one of the things that we saw about 50 or 60 years ago was the lack of investment that's coming into black neighborhoods uh, relative to white neighborhoods. And we know that that history, is, uh, history and research have shown us that a lack of investment does reduce, uh, can reduce uh, home valuations. You know, the point that I want to, the point that I'm making there is even if we value it right, there are other parts, uh, there are other actors and there are other parts of the, uh, there are other parts of the, of the housing system that can also reduce uh, ultimately home valuations uh, for Black homeowners and in Black neighborhoods and ultimately the wealth that they can uh, uh, accumulate. Let's actually, and this is, I do want to get to a couple more topics, but I, I find this both interesting and at least for me, very complicated. So to, to back up for a second, what goes into an automated valuation model? Like you mentioned historic data. I'm picturing, you know, the square footage of a home, how many bedrooms a home has, when the home was built, where the home was built. What else can go into in AVM and sort of, I mean, how how is maybe the AVM evolving? Yeah, so a couple of things. A, um, let me say first, uh, different AVMs uh, will have different inputs um, and they may even put different weights on those inputs. You know, the, each of the inputs may, have, may matter. Uh, the importance of those inputs uh, may differ uh, across AVMs as well. So I think that's worth keeping in mind. Um, uh, but what I will say is, number one, the AVM is bringing in, uh, is first resting on uh, 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 comparable sales. Um, and the benefit of the AVM is that you can bring in a lot of comparable sales fairly efficiently. Um, so the AVM you know, will, will, will know the value of other homes in the surrounding neighborhoods. Um, and let me get back to that. But the, uh, the other important part to your question um, is what, do AVM, what are AVMs not including? Um, so, uh, generally speaking, and, and this may differ uh, across AVMs, but generally AVMs have a weaker sense of the condition of the property, um, which uh, an appraiser uh, is going to be assessing as part of ultimately the estimation of their home. And then the second part, and I think this gets to uh, some of the potentially some of the challenges that, that Zillow might have faced. And granted, I don't know the Zillow model, so I, I, I say this uh, uh, with a lot of caution. Uh, but also, it's important to, to somehow be able to update the model um, to current day conditions. Um, you know, some AVMs will do that with a forecast, uh, a, a house, a house price forecast for the area, um, as a way of kind of keeping the AVM up to date with current conditions. Um, others may not, though. To what degree uh, are the errors, particularly the errors across race and ethnicity, to what degree are they due to uh, data constraints? And if we simply had more data, um, or if we uh, if we analyze the data in the right way, then that could reduce the disparities that that we've observed in our research. So if the AVM had a stronger 
sense of property condition, would that explain the differences that we observed? Um, but at the same time, there's also uh, room for the role of racial discrimination, um, particularly uh, when we talk about what is in uh, AVMs, and that is the comp sales mechanism. The degree to which the comp sales mechanism is bringing forward um, or spreading over space um, the history of systemic racism. That is, the sales that were done in history themselves were the product of, of systemic discrimination, but now they're being used in the transaction of another home. Two things. A, the transaction of a home in the future, but also the transaction of a home somewhere else in the neighborhood. That's how historic the comp sales as a mechanism could potentially spread uh, the history of systemic racism, both over time um, as well as over space. Both of those, both the data that we have, as well as the role of racial discrimination uh, are two key factors um, that could be playing a role in all of this. So, and this kind of gets gets a little wonky, but, you know, actually, I think this is probably a pretty important issue for our listeners. So comps, the, uh, the appraiser, the human appraiser, like their lifeblood is the comp and finding like three or four comps that are comparable to the home that they're appraising. And then what you're saying with these AVMs is that they can, you know, literally have hundreds of comps to the homes. But is the premise of comps maybe overrated? And is that leading to some of the valuation disparities that we're discussing? Like how much emphasis should we be putting on like housing comparables? I think that that is, um, A, I think that's an important discussion. Um, and I think that that's a discussion um, that, uh, that, that many are having uh, uh, even today. Um, you know, I think, A, there's certainly... Uh, a side of the uh, of the discussion that that believes uh, that comparable sales, you, the use of comparable sales should be uh, should, should 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 be eliminated, um, and instead we should rely, say, on things like you know the cost of the, the you know the cost of construction or the or or the income that the home could generate as a, some cash flow model as a way of determining a home's value. Um, but at the same time, there is also there's some evidence to suggest that the neighborhoods uh, from which the comps are being pulled can differ by whether or not the home is in a, a white neighborhood or a black neighborhood. Um, and that in and of itself could a um, be the result of of of, of racial bias um, and and number two, can lead to disparate outcomes uh, across race. Um, so what I mean by that is the degree to which you, you look at other Black neighborhoods, you may skip over an adjacent white neighborhood and go over to a, a similar Black neighborhood that's miles away as a way of, of identifying comparable sales as uh, the home that you're, that you're assessing. Um, that their value is being determined, um, when it may be more prudent to actually compare homes uh, within a smaller uh, square radius that would include a, a diverse number uh, of neighborhoods. Um, and so in that, that situation, that's less about uh, eliminating the comparable sales mechanism it, uh, itself and more about standardizing uh, the inputs that are used for identifying what should be a comparable sale and what should not be. A couple more topics to hit on. I think this has been an important, if complicated, conversation, um, at least for me. Um, so, like appraisers themselves, like human appraisers, um, you know, uh, racism basically from appraisers. But these have been 
largely anecdotal stories. And so what evidence have you seen of, of bias from, from human appraisers? And yeah, let's just maybe start there. So again, you know, I think if I were to take bias as both downward bias, you know, that we systematically undervalue a home um, and upward bias, we systematically overvalue a home. Certainly there uh, on the overvaluation side, um, there was some really uh, interesting analysis um, done by my colleague, Lori Goodman, um, just pointing out the, the upward bias that was taking place uh, during the housing boom years um, that ultimately may have played a role uh, in the financial crisis. Um, again, as we know, you know uh, there were other issues, arguably uh, lending standards uh, in the mortgage space um, that also played a role and, and probably an even bigger role um, in the housing bust and in the financial crisis. There were other parts of the housing ecosystem that may um, have been uh, that may have contributed uh, to it as well, even even if to a lesser degree. Um, with respect to undervaluation, um, certainly, I mean, you know, I think through uh, the research uh, done um, by uh, Junia Howe and Elizabeth Corver Glenn, um, where they have looked uh, particularly down in Texas and looked, uh, I, I believe, at Harris County and demonstrated undervaluation uh, of homes in both Black and Hispanic neighborhoods down there. Again, you know, that evidence gives some credence to the anecdotes uh, that we've been hearing, um, frankly, from others uh, in the housing system, as well as from homeowners themselves. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that study um, because I've actually read that study. So the study that um, Elizabeth Corver Glenn uh, did of Harris County, it's a ton of great data about the valuation gap between Black and Hispanic-owned homes and white-owned homes. And what I struggled with in that study, and this isn't, you know, it's a, it's a very valuable study and I encourage people to read it. But what I struggled with in, in my own reporting was sort of disaggregating between who to blame. Like, is this really the appraiser's fault or is this maybe the fault of the lender or is this maybe the fault of another actor? Like, I'll start by saying I think that that is. Um, one of the key questions, I mean, one of the things that I think uh, we know uh, is the interrelatedness of different parts of the system. And I think what also highlights this is when we see anecdotal evidence uh, where homeowners may get their own appraisal. Um, and that appraisal may come in at a significantly higher value than the one that was used uh, in the in, in the transaction. Um, and I and the second thing that I will say is uh, I think that the research uh, out of Freddie Mac um, that really looked at uh, appraisers themselves and looked at the the degree of of, of systematic undervaluation across appraisers, uh, I think uh, has also contributed um, exactly to this debate. I mean, I think that that leads me to what I think is a key part in in this whole analytical uh, work. Um, And that is there's certainly data and analysis, particularly that organizations like the GSCs can help to really finally disassociate or decouple um, the role being played by different actors uh, within the housing system. That's interesting. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up the Freddie Mac story. And so are there like forthcoming reports from the GSCs in addition to that? Or what, what do you sort of see on the horizon in terms of their ability to decouple? Um, I certainly hope so. I found that report um, to be uh, very fascinating um, in part because uh, of the new data, but the data that they have 
um, and bringing that data to the discussion um, in a way that helped to illuminate our understanding uh, uh, across a number of dimensions. Um, so I certainly uh, hope that they are doing uh, that both Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and, and other uh, agencies, to the degree to which they have the data as well, are doing this kind of analysis and will continue to produce uh, reports for public consumption. Yeah, I hope so as well. Thank you. And the, this, the, thank you so much for gamely answering all my questions here. Just one final thing I wanted to touch upon. Uh, the U.S. Housing and Urban Development, they've convened a task force to look at bias in appraisals and just wanted to see kind of what you think might come out of that. What do you anticipate happening with that that may change federal regulations or, you know, the federal outlook on appraisals? Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly, uh, I'm looking forward. Uh, I'm encouraged by, uh, by their work, um, uh, hopeful about future steps. Um, and I think that we will get a, a stronger sense of the depth of appraisal bias, number one. And I hope that we get a stronger, uh, an even stronger sense of its relationship um, to key homeownership outcomes uh, for black households, um, including uh, the wealth uh, that they accumulate, um, as well as their security, um, and, and even potentially the degree to which a transaction can fall through because of, of appraisal bias. Um, and then the third thing I think, and I think this gets at you know your earlier question, is a clear articulation about enforcement um, and accountability, and you know how the process and uh, the process for identifying what is wrong, uh, then uh, holding uh, the right people accountable, um, and all of that happening um, amid uh, enforcement that ensures uh, that Black households are able to benefit uh, from home ownership uh, to the same degree that research says white households are able to. Yeah, that makes sense. I hope that the report proves substantive in, in those ways. Anything else that uh, you wanted to mention before we go? I think this is great. I think this um, this hit on all, all the key important points. Well, thanks so much for your very generous time here and answering all my varied questions on valuation and valuation disparities. Michael Neal of the Urban Institute, thank you for appearing on Houses in Motion. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure to be here. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.